God bless you. You may be seated. I'd like to make an expression of thanks for my wife and I for the uh, the nice cards and gifts that you gave to us on Sunday. It's a great blessing to us. Amen. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. I'd like to leave you a nugget of uh, wisdom. I think it's a nugget of wisdom. Now, it, it, it took me a long time to get it. And so I value it now, and I want to share it with you. The Bible says, buy the truth, the truth, and sell it not. How many truths are there? That was the setup. I could be in a room with my spouse, and she would begin to tell a story, and my habit, what had become my habit, I believe, would be if she said, well, there were six, and in my perspective, there were eight. She'd say, there were six, and I'd say, whoa, eight. And then she'd go on, and then she'd say something else. It was brown. No, it was black. You want to tell the story? And more times than not, by the time, if we made it home, if we were out visiting, it was a quiet ride home. And usually I would have to say, what's the matter? And she would punish me by not telling me. Until she was ready. Why do you always have to correct me? Well, I don't want you misleading or mistelling. So I was just helping you with the facts. Here's when the revelation came. There's her truth. There's her perspective. And there's my truth and my perspective. If she's telling the story and what she remembers is six and brown, then it's best that I just sit there and hold my peace. Because she is telling her truth. And some of you are going to wrestle with that. Just let it go. Just let it go. It's okay. You'll justify in your mind that you need to keep things straight. And your perspective is more truthful than her perspective. Just a little nugget of wisdom. Most things, does it, does it matter? Does it make a hill of beans? Does it really matter if it was six or seven or eight? Does it matter whether it was a shade of brown or tan or I just, I just had to come to the place that when she's talking and she's telling, she's telling her truth. It's her perspective. It's how she saw it. Now, 
be careful when you determine your truth is the only truth. Because life is filled with this. And the value of maintaining that relationship, in my opinion, is far more important. Okay? Now, guys, guys, if she says, was it six or eight? I think maybe it was eight, honey. But it might have been seven. You reading me? You read? Come on, let's have some honesty here tonight. You guys, you reading me? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just talking from my perspective tonight. When she's here, she can share hers. But, but I can't tell you the amount of tension sometimes coming away from gatherings because I just felt like I had to give my perspective and tell what I saw as my truth. Now, I'm not belaboring the point. that I know the truth is the truth, okay? But sometimes what is a person's perspective, we're calling that not the truth. No, it's how they saw it. We have to allow them that. You have to allow a person that. And you would like, you know, what if, what if you're the one that's telling the story? Guys, we were going, you know, we, we embellish. We were only going 50. We were going 70 miles an hour down the freeway. We were only going 50. Honey, I looked over. It was. What if she says, no, you were only doing 50? Hey, this is my story. <laughs> okay, are we done with that? Are we done with that? Okay, let's move on. Robert Kiyosaki. Who's that? Anybody besides Elder Hart know who Robert Kiyosaki is? Just a show of the hand. Well, the family, no doubt. Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book, told a story. I assume it was a true story. Not sure. But he told a story of two dads, said he had two dads. Now, there's a lot of people that could say, I, I, I grew up in two households, but mostly in one household, and there was a father figure in them. But the idea that he had two dads, and these two dads lived by and communicated by different concepts, and that was the uh, content of the book, but it was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, from the idea that one dad lived by a set of principles that brought him wealth, and the other dad lived by a set of principles that made him poor in the end. But what he tells is, while these fathers had influence and was communicating in his life, that, he, that they were neither one rich or poor yet. They were just sharing their principles that they lived by. It would be a matter of time that he would come to recognize, wow, okay, big difference how one ended up and how the other one ended up, okay? How many of you were babies in the church? You were born in the church. Your parents were attending a church. They 
surrendered their lives to God. They taught you the Bible. How many? Small number. So the majority of us, myself included, are going to relate to these next statements. I didn't come to the Lord till I was 22. I did pray in an altar at 10 years old one time, but really it wasn't until I was 22. So a lot of my early thought processes were formed from two base, well, three basic areas. The world that I was a part of, the education processes that I was sometimes a part of when I wasn't skipping school, and then there was the home. Now, I didn't have a rich dad and a poor dad, but I did have two households that I predominantly grew up in, and they were completely different. One household, the, the head of that household, he was in construction, and I can remember a pile of Belgian blocks along the driveway that we were told would become the edge of the driveway. We don't know where they come from, but they did come home in that GMC pickup that drove off every morning uh, to some construction job somewhere. And every once in a while, that truck could pull in and I would hear, Larry, go out there and throw those Belgian blocks off into the pile. And the pile continued to grow. We lived in that house five years. We never did put them in the driveway. And then there were the times when uh, that truck would come in the driveway, and it, w it was told to me, Larry, go out and get that. Uh, I got a bunch of hardwood flooring in the back of the truck. And there were these bundles that were banded up, and this was the good stuff. This was the real stuff. And so we would unload those hardwood flooring. Man, it had sharp edges on it, and it was heavy for kids. And we didn't know where it came from. I suppose off the job. And you know, when, when people are working on houses that today would be multi-million dollar houses, you know, the, the ideology is, oh, this is overrun. These are leftovers. It was already costed into the job. It's already paid for, but there's no purpose or use for it. So, they're in the back of my truck. It did take us five years to put hardwood flooring in the bedrooms of our house because that was the supply whenever they came home in the truck. Now, that was the household that I predominantly grew up in, spent a lot of time in, and observed, and probably accepted in part the concepts that were shared there. Now, let me talk to you about the other household. The other household, it was around this time of the year. It would get very tense. April 15th. It was really tense. Because the head of that household, he hated paying taxes. He hated paying taxes. Boy, he would storm through the house looking for a pile or a receipt. 
We got out of the house. But what he hated worse than paying taxes was those that cheated on their taxes. Boy, he verbalized it. Man, he hated a cheat. Now, here's the funny deal. My, my stepmother was an art teacher in, a, in the New Egypt School District in New Jersey. She made like $9,000 a year. And at the end of the tax season, he'd have to come up with about $9,000 to pay the taxes. And he'd say, you should just quit your job. You put us over into a, a tax bracket. Now I've got to pay all this money out. And it was the argument that went back and forth. But you know what? She didn't care. I want to be a teacher. And I'm going to keep teaching. You just work out those taxes. He hated stealing. He hate, I, I'm using a strong word, hate. He disliked very much, but eh, he hated them. He hated young people that did drugs, smoked marijuana, cheated on their taxes, stole. This was his moral compass. And it, and it was such an extreme to where I predominantly lived. It was like, you know, you feel like you're in the bumper machine, pinball machine, going back and forth to these two ideologies. So, so when I came to the Lord, I needed the scripture that said, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I would dare say there's probably some folks in the room here tonight that we're in the same situation because of our rearing and the circumstances of maybe our households. This is where a lot of our thought processes are shaped. Now, I'm, I'm making a big wide sweep here, okay? I'm going to pinpoint here eventually, but I'm making a big wide sweep. I am greatly disturbed. I'm going to make a broad statement here. Because of the fraudulent nation we have become in America. When I was young, we pointed all at the other nations and talked about how there was corruption and there was fraud, and it just prevailed. And, you know, and we were in the red, white, and blue America, and we were. And I've learned over the years, that's just not so. But I wonder about this. Now, I'm going to read a, a brief article here. How many remember? Now, you'd have to have been around in the 70s. That may nix a bunch of you. I don't know. How many remembers the Ford Pinto? Okay, there's a few of you. That was a car. That was an automobile made by Ford, F-O-R-D. Henry. What do you remember about the Ford? Cheap. Good gas mileage. 
You're not even old enough. The Ford Pinto began to be involved in collisions that punctured the gas tank that sprayed gas into the car cavity and set it on fire. Now listen to this. Introduced for 1971, the Pinto was designed to take on the rising tide of imports that had come to dominate the entry-level market. For a time, the car was a major success, selling 328,000 cars in its first year. But the Pinto had a fatal flaw, and Ford knew about it all along. Now, you realize, this is the story after the fact. This is after all the arguments this is after all the things that were covered up and hidden. This is what finally came out. Okay. In a rear-end collision, the fuel filler neck could separate and puncture the fuel tank, spraying fuel into the passenger compartment and igniting. In an expose in Mother Jones in 1977, it was revealed that Ford had known about the defect before the car even went into production, but decided it would be too expensive to fix. The cost to safety upgrade the fuel system would have added $11 to the cost of each car. A shield to protect the tank from rupturing would only have cost $1. To make matters worse, a chilling memo from 1973 was leaked to the media that outlined, by Ford's bean counters estimates, how many deaths to expect per year from the defect and how much it expected to cost the company per lawsuit. The memo ultimately decided, or the, uh, ultimately it expected to cost the company per lawsuit. The memo ultimately decided that this was cheaper for the company than spending the money to fix the problem. By 1978, the public outcry was so strong that Ford reluctantly recalled 1.5 million Pintos and the identical Mercury Bobcat. I don't even remember that car. And made the life-saving modifications to the fuel system. As many as 900 people died as a result of the car's fatal flaw, proving its cost-benefit and the analysts wrong. Ford ended up paying hundreds of millions of dollars in civil suits, which had a major impact on the company's financial stability well into the 80s. I found this in a search on auto manufacturer, I forget what the word was. This is one of 11 major ones, okay? Now, nineteen seventy one. that's a long time ago, isn't it? That's 50 years ago. But I asked myself the question. See, 
we look at the situation and we blame a company. We blame a corporation. Corporations don't make these decisions. People do. And I, the question comes to me, how is this possible that people would make choices and decisions resulting in a loss of lives based on a dollar here and there? Now, I visited my brother a couple of weeks ago. In the one in Florida. He's a captain on the 777, the Boeing 777. My dad, he started flying in the, for TWA in the, the Boeing 707. When he finished, he was, by, he was flying the 747. We're a Boeing family. Have been through all, a, a lot of these years. Because of my family's association, with flying these planes for so many years. And while, we were, while I was there, I asked my brother, I said, what happened, to the, what happened to the 737? What happened? This was his answer. Now, I, he said, McDonnell Douglas. What do you mean, McDonnell Douglas? He said, when they merged... When they merged, the executives from McDonnell Douglas became the leadership of Boeing. All those safety records that Boeing has touted all over the years, it was a change in leadership that began to point everything towards the stock value of the company. They moved from a design-ran company to a bean counter company. Uh, leadership in, in the company. Now, I'm not here to discuss any of that. All I'm saying was is from his concept, that's what he saw when the change came. And there were times, and I remember stories from my dad, when it, there were issues on airplanes that they said they wouldn't take off. They'd get off and check things themselves physically because of things that the computers were telling them. Now, it was just a little while back, there was a plane a 737 that went down. Five months later, another one went down. And come to find out, again, a similar story about a component on the plane that there were people that knew. But even though it was passed up the chain, there were people, there were individuals that made decisions that cost more than 300 lives because they were based on the dollar. What is... What is the impact of greed in the life of an individual? Greed. A twisted moral compass. You know, there are a lot of systems that operate in our society that keep things going forward in a direction because they're normally based on a set of rules. Mathematics, if you have any involvement there. A lot of that, it's based on a set of rules. You violate the rules and you fracture the system. And so, 
we discover the importance of these, these straight lines in communication. Now, I want to take you into this scripture. Proverbs 11 and 1. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You know that in times past there were scales used to measure monetary value, maybe gold, silver, or, I don't know, lead. But the idea is that, the, that a weight would be just. I operated some, uh, some uh, filling stations, gas stations, car washes for my grandfather for a few years here in Yakima. There was a gentleman, I can see his face today, what he looked like the hat he wore when he would pull into the station with his truck. And without asking permission, he didn't need permission, he was the weights and measures guy. And he would get a five-gallon can with measurements, and he would take the pump off, and he would put gas into there up to a certain level to check to make sure that the gauge on that gas pump was accurate to what was coming out to the end of the hose. Boy, he was, he could be tense at times. But I didn't realize that there was actually somebody in society that was checking up on everybody because if man is left to his own devices, many of them cheat. Imagine that. Probably nobody here in this room. Another subject for another day. So how important is it? Leviticus 19 and 36. Just balances. Just weights. A just ephah. And a just hen. These are measuring devices. Shall you have... I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Some of you won't be old enough for this. Some of you are. How many remembers when it came out in the news that they found pallets of Windows 95 in China? Remember that? Anybody? What's the word when you you counterfeit? Pirate. There you go. Pirate. Somebody was taking the software of Microsoft, the Windows 95 operating system, and they found inside of a warehouse pallets and pallets Packaged to look exactly like. But it wasn't Microsoft product. It was a counterfeit product. Why would anybody do that? Greed. 
Greed is not a corporate description. It is a personal description. Now, we went to a market in uh, Shanghai one time where they said, we're going to go to the market and we're going to, they got all of this knockoffs. There was coach bags and all these. And I, so man, I was buying and I got somebody else to do all the bartering, but I was buying and didn't think nothing of it and put them in another big bag and brought all this stuff home on the plane and was passing them out to my girls and my wife. Here, brand new coach bag. <laughs> Knockoff. Nobody can tell. Look, you cannot tell. And they are known in certain areas for this, in many countries. But it didn't start on that level. It started by an individual making a choice to cheat, to steal. And then find ways to multiply that principle. See, we all cry out. Government is becoming fraudulent. And all of these are becoming, you know, corporations. People are crying out against the corporations. Now, they're fraudulent and they're, they're committing these uh, acts of but it didn't start in a corporate office. It started right here. And in a choice, in a decision that presented itself. Uh, Leviticus 19 No, I didn't write down the chapter, so I may have this from a different spot. I'll just read it to you. And this is in the NLT. Stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Well, isn't that an interesting statement? Now, this is wrote to Israel. This is written to Jews. But we can see this in humanity all around us. Let me read that again. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. And love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Who, where, what? Okay. Leviticus 19, 32 and 33. I'm going to read in 35 too. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or volume. Your scales and weights must be accurate. Your containers for measuring dry materials or liquids must be accurate. I am the Lord your God who brought you out 
of Egypt. You'd think it would be a given, wouldn't you? But in, in our world and the world that was before us, there are circumstances that present themselves. Some people call them opportunities. I, I was talking to a man that was from another country. And he raised hogs for the government. And he told me, well, his son told me, dad would steal a hog once in a while to feed his family. And said and justified in his mind, if I didn't steal a hog once in a while, it's from the government then my family would have starved. His financial moral compass that he lived by has now shaped the moral compass of his children. And unless they allow the word of God to transform them by the renewing of their mind, they will continue into their senior years with the same moral compass. Mom, dad, mom, dad. But they'll justify it because, well, that's what my dad did. Every once in a while, we need to attend a family reunion. You know, with the family members that didn't make the decision that you made when you, you begin to seek the Lord and respond to God and get in the, the Word of God and allow it to shape your thinking. Every once in a while, we got to go back to an old family reunion and just listen for a little while. And you realize, oh, that's right. That's what I came out of. Let me encourage you. Come out of it. If it hasn't happened yet, come out. Come out. Find a place in the word of God that you know this action, this choice, this decision will please my heavenly father. Now, measure your own self here for a minute. I'll be careful. You're at a yard sale. That $100 item that they're only asking 10 bucks for, are you really going to offer them seven? I, I, now, we're just supposing here. We go to that environment as though that's what's expected of everybody. Not in my yard sales. I took stuff back in the house. Are you kidding me? That's an insult. Get out of here. Get in your car. 
That's a $150 guitar, and I was only asking 50 bucks. That's a rant, sorry. So when, when you realize that, you know, your life is being shaped, I, I remember times when my approach to things were to see how much I could keep from losing or letting go of. It was my style. It was my mindset. And so, therefore, it affected every area of my life, every area of my life. Well, somewhere along the line, I begin to swing it back the other way. You wanted seven? I'm going to give you ten. Take it. Do you know how I felt when I got in the car and drove away? Better than if I'd have said, I'll give you six. And he took it. And I got in my car and drove away. I'm just telling you through experience. It is more blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, you're at the table. What is it, 10%? How much is 10% of, uh, you know? Just saying, there's another way of living, okay? I've known some penny pinchers. I've known some good stewards. And then I've known some penny pinchers. You know what I've noticed about the two of them? Stewards are usually happy people. Penny pinchers, they're never happy. They're never happy that they pinched that penny. Let's pray here for a minute. Stand with me, would you? Let's make this an effort here right now. Transform our minds, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Renew our mind in the name of Jesus. Let us think as you think, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. Please be seated. They were all at a dinner. They were at a table. Lazarus was there. Many were there. A woman made her way into the room with a, an alabaster box of precious costly ointment and she broke the alabaster box and the oil spilled out and the aroma filled the room and there was one individual in the room that he couldn't contain him 
himself any longer because this is how he was driven. Why was this waste made? Look, that guy with the bag, everybody's looking at him now. Didn't realize it, but it just came out. Uh, 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 we could have sold this for 300 pence and given the money to the poor. See, there were those in the room that were there worshiping. And so nothing was a waste. It was give all. It was give everything. Yet there were others in the room that all they could see was how it may have benefited them if they could have gotten their hands on those few pennies, dimes, dollars. Where's your mindset? What's your concept? How has it been shaped through your life? Doesn't matter where the inputs came from. And where is it headed now? How are you letting the word of God renew your thought processes? To where it changes you. Luke 16 and 10. He that is faithful in that which is least. Is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in least. He that cheats. He that steals. Wait, we're just talking about a few pennies here. He that is unjust in least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, you know the job, the boss. Oh, they got so many pencils in this office. This ain't going to be nothing. In the least. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, that's, the, that's really a good test. Who shall give you that which is your own? Let's pray again. Father, this is the test that I want to pass right here. This is the test that I want to pass right here. Oh, but they got so much money. Ah, they're so rich. They won't miss it. Yet we set the course for our life and the next choice, the next decision, the next action, the next direction, and then it perpetuates into my son and into my daughter, into my grandchildren. Who are watching every transaction.
false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hymn. Shall you have? I am the Lord your God. Yeah, but everybody's doing it. That's the tell all. When you justify the reason for your choice that everybody else is doing it. Like somehow. That's going to persuade the king of kings, our heavenly father. Every one of us here tonight will walk out from this room into as many as people are here. We'll walk out into these many situations and circumstances and face them. And the Lord will bring his word back to you and say, let's do it different this time. Now, I'm not, I'm not, never mind. I bought some cars one time at an auction. It's by mistake, I bought three of them. I was just playing around. Wasn't even my account. And so then I had to go get these cars. Thankfully, they all ran. They were all Toyota. <laughs> it's just not a commercial. <laughs> I sold a couple. I gave one. And a few days later, I became uncomfortable with the amount of money that I had charged for that one car. What do you do in that situation? Uh, next time. I'll do it different next time. Nope. I couldn't live with myself. I think I took $400 cash, went back to that individual, and I said, listen, I want to give you this money back. I just didn't feel comfortable with the transaction. Wait a minute. I thought you were selling the cars to try to make the money to pay. No, no, no. There's some things that are far more important in life. And we become faced with these things. You can justify so many actions by what everybody else does. But you have to respond to the conviction of God's spirit. In your own life. Do you realize that there are situations like that that will present itself? I don't want to call everything a test. But those things become opportunities. That when God asks of you something, that the numbers don't play out. The numbers don't matter to you. It's the fact he asked you and you responded favorably to him. I tell people, I'm not looking for a good deal. I'm looking for a blessed transaction. Did you get a good deal on that? Nah, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe, maybe not. I don't care anymore. 
there's a different way to live. I'm not, say it with me. I'm not looking for a good deal. We better do that one more time. I'm not looking for a good deal. Hey, I'll give you a good deal. Don't worry about it. I don't want a good deal. Boy, that's a switch, isn't it? Wow. Do we need to practice that a couple more times? I am not looking for a good deal. I'm looking for a blessed transaction. So I'll borrow the statement from Bruce Bartell. God keeps good books. Why don't you stand with me? God loves us. Do you know he says he would chastise them whom he loves? Sometimes the word feels like a chastisement. Thank God he loves us. Thank God he loves us. Praise God. anything to uh, add per se I feel like I should say this there's an old saying that still bears true and it fits right in with what Bishop just shared an honest day's work anybody know the rest of it for an honest day's pay What does that mean? My employer pays me to do a job. They're not watching me the whole time I'm working. They're not on me every moment, but I have a responsibility. Unless I'm going to go to them at the end of the week and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you some of these paycheck back because even though you're paying me for X number of hours, I really didn't work all those hours. I just sort of, when you weren't around, I sort of, We're children of God. We're children of God. One of my uh, one of my kids had a situation with one of their employers, and I suggested that they mention it to them. And they did, and their employer said, "Well, we'll see what we can do." And their employer sought to help them financially. They didn't ask for financial help. I said, "Just mention it. It may be because you were doing stuff for your job that they'll." And their employer went above and beyond. And then the help that they gave them, once they went and acted on what they needed to with the help their employer gave them, they realized, wow, it ended up even better than I could have imagined. And I I suggested to them, I said, you know what? And originally when their employer blessed them, they said, hey, no, that's, that's too much. This is the situation. And. And I said, oh, it's fine. Well, then when they took care of things, it was even less than they had originally thought. I encouraged them. I said, you know, I'd go back to your employer again and just be fully transparent about what it ended up being. Well, I already told them, and they said it was fine. I said, I, now that you know more, they're probably going to say the same thing. 
but they'll respect your transparency. Right? I think there's value in those things. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And so thank you, Bishop. May we walk in it. Amen. I am going to say one more thing. If you signed a paper to take on a debt, you owe that debt. Pay it. If you can only pay $10 a month, pay it. Right. That's integrity in our dealings. That's integrity in our dealings. Again, don't, don't accept the thought process of the world. Right? Pay it. God will honor that. He will honor that. And when you act in faith going, you know what, I'm going to do this. God will bless you and help you in that endeavor. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. I receive your word, Father. I need to hear it. I pray let it work in every part of my life. Father, in every aspect of my being, I have not got this all figured out. I need the renewing of my mind by your word, and so I receive it. I pray lead, guide, illuminate these things in my daily living, in my daily walk, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. May you have a blessed evening. And we will see you on Sunday morning prayer at 930, Easter service at 10. Amen. Men, we will have prayer here at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Look forward to it.